Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. I wanted to begin this morning, but before I pray, just to, uh, just to say something from, from the pulpit here. Did you guys know we had an election this week, by the way? You all aware of that? I know there's a lot of opinions and there's a lot of different thoughts and there's a lot of people in our country that are very happy and there's a lot of people that are very sad and there's a lot of people that are in the middle. But as believers, I just want to remind you that our hope is not in any person, not in any political party or political platform. Our hope is in Christ, right? And we need to be reminded of that and we need to be challenged with that truth. And the Lord just led me to read a passage of Scripture this morning, Psalm 22 Beginning in verse 27, listen, all the ends of the earth shall remember to turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. No no matter what party's in power, no matter what political leader's in office, God rules over the nations. And we are required in Scripture to pray for those that are in charge of us. And so as believers, no matter where you stand and no matter what your opinion is, we should be praying for the people that are in charge, for the leaders on the federal, state, and local level that God would use them to accomplish his purposes. So let me pray for us this morning, and we're going to begin. Father, we thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you that you sit on your throne. We thank you that you sent Christ to this earth, Lord, to give us salvation, to teach us how to live. We thank you for the truth of your word. And now as we open the truth of your word this morning, Father, I pray you speak very clearly to us. Challenge us. Father, help us to see how we should live and how we should think and how we should act. Father, may you receive praise. May you receive honor. May we be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I want to welcome everybody that's here personally. I want to welcome everybody that's watching from home. I want to welcome everybody that's watching from our overflow service in the fellowship hall. We're so glad you're with us this morning as we are now in week five of our sermon series that we've entitled I Am. And I'm walking through the book of John. There are seven different instances where Jesus uses the phrase, I am. In my prayer through this process, I've had just such great conversations with people over the last several weeks about this series and about kind of what it's meant to them and what they're learning. I had a great conversation with a lady this morning before our 930 service, a lot of phone calls and emails and texts. And my prayer throughout this whole process is that you grow and learn to love Christ more and more as we study through this. That you understand more about who he is, that it challenges your faith, it challenges your walk. And so I've just kind of enjoyed each week reading all seven of these I Am statements. We've got them on the screen as well. I'm just going to read through them very quickly again. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John chapter 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door. John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Today's text, John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. 
John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then John 15, 5, I am the vine. Now this morning's text is John chapter 11. And John chapter 11 is the story of Lazarus. Many of you are familiar with that story. You've probably heard it before. You've probably studied it. Maybe you've even taught it in Sunday school. It's about Lazarus, his sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus is going to get sick. And let's see what happens. Let's jump right in this morning. John chapter 11, verse 1. We have it on the screen now. A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We're going to come back to that. Fascinating. After some discussion with his followers, uh, some clarification, they think that Lazarus is asleep. Maybe he's going to wake up again. Verse 14, Jesus is clear. It says, He told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go, that we may die with him. Now, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? We know the story. We know what's going to happen. But there's more here that I want you to get, right? This whole encounter is about resurrection, And there's some aspects of resurrection that I want you to understand about Lazarus. And as we walk through this text, I hope this becomes very clear to you. The first truth I want you to see, the first thing I want you to understand this morning, number one, is the glory of the resurrection. The glory of the resurrection. We're going to kind of circle back around to this idea of glory here in just a second. But before we do, I want to kind of put this in context. right? It's always good for us when we're studying Scripture to understand the context of what's happening to understand what these people are living through, to understand what life would have been like for them. And in our world of modern medicine and training and doctors and technology, it's hard for us to understand in the first century there were no hospitals, uh, there was no ICU, uh, there were no ambulances, there was no sophisticated training, there was no sophisticated medication. All they had was Jesus. Now, hope just for a second that kind of shocked you a little bit because it's very common for us in our world to think when we get sick, listen, I'm going to go to the doctor, I'm going to get some medicine, I'm going to be well. And by the way, I'm I'm right there with you. Praise the Lord, we have medicine, right? Praise the Lord, we have doctors and nurses and people in the medical field that are trained, that know what they're doing, that understand how to help us get well. I get all those things. But I also think sometimes it's very easy for us to run to medicines and to medical treatment when we're sick instead of wondering what Christ may be doing and how he may work in my life and even how he may heal me in this instant. Very, very easy for us to get, forget with modern medicine, as good as it is, that Jesus still heals, right? I'll never forget some of the conversations I've had with missionaries over the years people that live out in very remote parts of the world, whether, whether it's the bush of Africa or parts of South Asia or even the jungles of Central America, 
and I'll have conversations with him. They'll say things like this to me. Listen, I can distinctly remember times in my life when I've gone out into these uh, rural areas, out in the bush, out in the jungle, and I'll go into a hut or into a village, and there's a little child burning up with fever, so very sick. These people are many, many miles from any sort of medicine. They have no money to pay to get there, and even if they could get there, they couldn't pay to the doctor. All they have is prayer. All they have is Jesus. Right? And we see in this context, that's exactly what's going on. Right, As we understand the context of the first century, all Mary and Martha could do is call on Jesus. And so they do. Right? They get word to Jesus, listen, Lazarus is sick. We need your help. Now this is something very interesting about what's going to take place over the next couple of verses. And I want you to think through this with me because it's not the way we would necessarily think that it should go. Right? So what we see is very interesting. When Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick, instead of rushing to help, the Bible says he stays two days longer. That's an interesting idea. Now let's walk through it together. Look at verse 4. Pull verse 4 up. I want you to see it here. When Jesus heard it, and by the way, Jesus knows everything. He knows what's going on with Lazarus. He knows what's going to happen. He understands the purpose of exactly what's taking place. When Jesus heard it, verse 4, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Watch. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Right Now understand foundationally to everything taking place in this context, in this verse, is the glory of the Lord. Like God's glory is going to be demonstrated. But watch how it's demonstrated in verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and her sister Lazarus. That's a strong word. Not that he just liked them a little bit or he was a casual acquaintance or he knew of them. He loved them so, right? What's his action? So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's fascinating to me. Like, if, if the Lord had asked me what he should say, and praise the Lord, he never has, but if he asked me what he should have written here, I would have said something like, Jesus loved Mary and Martha uh, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he hurried and found him. He quickly went to him, and he healed him. He stopped everything he was doing to be with him. That's what I would say. That's what we usually expect of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus, when things aren't going the way I want them to, I need you now. Like, I need you right now. I don't need you to wait even five minutes. I need you to fix this now. I really needed you to fix this yesterday. We're very impatient. We need Jesus to work. But when Jesus found that Lazarus was sick, not only did he wait, he waited two additional days. This is interesting to me. I want you to know some biblical truth here, right? As we kind of understand what this text is teaching us, just because we experience struggle does not mean that Jesus doesn't love us. Oftentimes, Jesus demonstrates his love for us by, by allowing us to experience the glory of the Lord, right? Martha and Mary wanted Jesus to come right now and heal Lazarus. Jesus intentionally waited two days so Lazarus could die so that they could experience the power and the glory of the Lord in ways they'd never experienced it before. One writer said it like this. He said, don't measure the love of God for you 
by how much wealth and health and comfort he brings into your life. If that were the measure of God's love, then he hated the apostle Paul. Measure God's love for you by how much of himself he shows you, how much of himself he gives you to know and enjoy. Right, later in the book of John, John chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus is speaking again. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, watch, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus says, listen, the, the ones that I love, I'm going to show myself, I'm going to demonstrate myself, I'm going to show these people the glory of the Lord. And so the ultimate test for us really to understand God working in our life and to see his power is when we experience his glory oftentimes in the middle of great tragedy. That's a hard pill for us to swallow. We've all been through struggles. We've all been through suffering. We've all had people that are very close to us pass away. And if you've ever been through that process and you're a believer, then you know it's the presence of the Lord in those moments that brings the greatest comfort, isn't it? It's when we sense his presence. It's when we sense his power. It's when sometimes we get to see just a glimpse of his glory, right? And so this entire miracle, that the foundation of everything that's happening here, this entire account is designed to demonstrate the glory of God. And sometimes when God is silent, he's doing more than we could ever hope or imagine. And so, again... Let's just filter this through the biblical understanding, through this biblical paradigm. His love, the love of Christ for Mary and Martha, allowed him to stay and wait so that Lazarus could die, right? So this resurrection, pull that first point back up. This is all about the glory of what Christ is doing. We see the glory of the resurrection. Now look at verse 17. Let's continue here. Not, there's more to this story, not at the end. Now when Jesus came, right, so he takes two days he waits. Lazarus at this point is dead. When he came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. That's a long time, right? They didn't have the processes we have now to preserve bodies. So bad things were happening to his body physically in the grave, you can imagine. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to, Mary, uh, to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, here it is, I am the resurrection. And the life, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Right? We've already seen the foundation of the glory of the resurrection. Here's the second thing we see this morning. Number two, the truth of the resurrection. 
We've seen the glory of the resurrection, the glory of Christ being made known through the death and eventual resurrection of Lazarus. Now we're going to see the truth of the resurrection. Now this is the, just for a second, I'm going to take a step aside and the history nerd in me is going to come out. Just to give you a little bit of information, John chapter 11 Verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and life. Those are the verses found on George Washington's tomb in Mount Vernon. In fact, if you were to go to Mount Vernon, which is Virginia, just a few miles outside of Washington, D.C., you can walk down. Many of you have probably seen this down around the hill where he and Martha are buried. Etched over his grave is this verse, John chapter 11. And just a little side note, and this is probably a whole sermon series I might do one day. If you think that the founders weren't Christians, you've been lied to. Just do the research. Just go and read these people that founded our country and their beliefs in Christ and how important Jesus was to them. The verse etched over George Washington's tomb, John chapter 11, 25 and 26. Now, Martha, in this context, had experienced great loss, right? And we understand when we go through loss, when we've lost a loved one, there are a range of emotions that we deal with. Right? Sometimes we're, 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 we're uh, angry, uh, sometimes we're, we're bitter. Uh, sometimes we're just sad. O- oftentimes we get very confused, like, like why did this happen? And then we see in this text the confusion of Martha. And I want you to see it right here. Look at verse 22 and 23 again, John chapter 11. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Right? Jesus knows what's about to happen. But Martha, in her confusion, doesn't quite get it. And she said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Right? She's looking ahead. And we see Bible verses that teach this truth, like 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself, this is in the future, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Watch. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So Martha's looking ahead, right? She's thinking ahead. She's looking off in the future, thinking about Lazarus one day is going to rise again. But Jesus, as he often does, is going to redirect her focus from the end time to the present day. And Jesus now is going to explain to her the truth of the resurrection. He says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he Live, right? Jesus is the great I am. You understand that? That means that Jesus is the answer right now. He was the answer then, He's the answer now, He will be the answer tomorrow and forevermore, right? So He says to Martha, Listen, you need to take your focus off of what one day is going to happen. That is right. But the truth, Martha, is that I am the resurrection right now. And the answer that you need is standing right here in front of you. I wonder how many times our mindset kind of gets off the truth of who Christ is right now. Right? I wonder how many times we kind of find ourselves confused in life, looking at things from a, a, an incorrect perspective, how many times we find ourselves kind of walking down a path that maybe we know we shouldn't walk down or in a place that maybe we know we shouldn't be in or looking ahead to something that may one day happen, neglecting and failing to understand that Jesus is with us right now. I, I, I say this to you a lot, and I, I don't know that I can say it too often, but, but I talk to people on a pretty regular basis about the will of the Lord. I had another conversation this week. A lady came to my office. She wanted to know God's will for her life. It's a great question to ask, by the way. 
What does the Lord want me to do? What's the purpose that God has me on this earth for? And as you talk with people and we try to understand Scripture, what we see oftentimes, and I think this is the case with Martha, oftentimes when we think about God's will for our life, we want to know six months, three years, five years, ten years from now. Like, Lord, if you just give me on a sheet of paper the next ten years, I'll be good, right? (laughs) I'm happy to do whatever you want me to do. Just list it out for me, mail it to my house or drop it off, whatever, just give me that list and I'll do it, right? We're kind of pulling the Martha. We want to know what's going to happen. I know it's going to happen in the future. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. Listen, don't get so concerned about three years, five years, end times, Martha. I am the resurrection right now. I am here right now, right? And so what I said to this lady and what I say to you is don't, don't worry so much about three, five, ten years down the road. Jesus is here now, Right? What is he doing for you now? How are you living your life for him now? How are you serving him now? How are you deepening your walk with him every moment of every single day? Just kind of focus on that relationship and that love that you have for him and that love that he has for you, understanding that he is the great I am yesterday, today, tomorrow, and allow him to lead you wherever he wants you to go. I promise you'll get there. I promise. Sometimes we miss that. Jesus has to kind of rein this back in, right? There's, there's confusion here. There's a lot of confusion in our world today, even now, especially about death. Right? You, you can read through history. There, there's a lot of interesting ideas about death. What's going to happen if there is an afterlife? If so, what does it look like? The, the Egyptians had a very different view. If you've ever studied Egyptian history, you know that the tombs of the pharaohs were just crammed, packed with things because they believed they could take that stuff to the afterlife. Did you know that? So they filled their tombs up with a lot of stuff. The the Greeks believed that they would kind of go to this shadow world where they could rest for eternity. Modern day, if you go to India, you speak to somebody that's a Hindu, they would explain to you about reincarnation. Buddhists also would say the same sorts of things. There's a lot of different opinions. There's a lot of different ideas about death and the afterlife. But the Bible is clear. Only through Christ can you find eternal life in heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. I'm not going to steal my thunder for next week, but I'm really looking forward to the next one. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? Jesus doesn't say, I'm one of the ways. Jesus says, I am the way. And there's a lot of different people, and I'm going to talk some about this next week. There's a lot of different people that say there's a lot of ways to get to heaven. Right? There's a lot of different ways to get to heaven. As long as you're sincere in what you believe and believe in some sort of a deity and believe in some sort of an afterlife, as long as you believe in those things with all of your heart, then you will one day get to heaven. That sounds good. It's not at all what Scripture teaches. The Bible is very clear. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? So he has to rein in Martha's confusion by teaching her the truth of the resurrection. So the glory undergirds this whole process. The glory of the Lord is going to be demonstrated. Jesus now gives her the truth of exactly who he is. Now let's pick up the story in verse 32, John eleven, thirty-two. 32. Now when Mary came to see Jesus, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, My brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? 
And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also keep this man from dying? Verse 38, when Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, he's praying now, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet both bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. We've seen the glory of the resurrection. We've seen the truth of the resurrection. And now number three, we see the proof of the resurrection. Now this has been questioned. I want you to notice what's going on right here. Jesus has questioned three different times exactly what's going on by three different people. Right? He's wondering, he's asking, what's happening here? What's going on here? They're curious. And so we see Martha asking Jesus. The Bible says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Right? So there's the first time he's been questioned. John chapter 11, verse 32, Mary now comes to Jesus. And when she sees him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then the third time, John chapter 11, verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Right? Three different times people are questioned. Lord, listen, if you'd just been here, if you'd gotten here sooner, if you'd maybe paid a little more attention, if you'd cared a little bit more, you would have come. And I just wonder if we kind of move forward now 2,000 years, how often do we question Jesus? Like, Lord, if you'd just done something different, this wouldn't have happened. Or, Lord, if you'd have just allowed this person to do this, this wouldn't have happened. I just wonder how often we think we've got it figured out and we think we know how the Lord should respond. We fail to understand in these moments that God is in control of all things. It's really a lack of faith on our part, isn't it? As we see how Jesus answered these questions and how Jesus uh, acted in this situation and why Jesus did the things that he did, we understand that Jesus had a plan, right? Jesus was going to prove the glory of the Lord. Jesus was going to prove that this was true. Jesus was going to prove that he was who he said he was. Now, the middle part of this text is very interesting, verse 35 especially, because people kind of question what's going on about his emotion here. In fact, we see that very clearly in verse 33. The Bible says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In 34, he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, the shortest verse, but maybe the most profound in all the Bible, says that Jesus wept. I read a lot about that verse and about the verses around that and about the emotion of Jesus. And commentators have different opinions. As is the case oftentimes in Scripture, there's different opinions about different verses. And there's kind of a school of thought that says, listen, he was emotional and he, and he wept because he, he was upset about the sin of these people. He was upset that they didn't trust him. 
He was upset that they didn't fully understand the, the mission and exactly what he was going to accomplish. There's kind of one set of scholars that believe that, but there's another set that I tend to agree with that basically just said, listen, Jesus loved Mary and Martha, Jesus loved Lazarus, and he wept at the death of his friend. I I think what we see in this case is is kind of this uh, insight. We're kind of opening the door and peeking a little bit into the humanity of Christ. Remember, he's fully God, 100%. He's also 100% man. You say, how can he be fully God and fully man? Can you explain that? No, I can't explain that. But that's what scripture teaches. And I think we see into this context just a little bit about the love Christ had, about his emotion, about how he felt, about how he loved. But watch, this matters. It wasn't enough for him to have emotion. It wasn't enough for him just to care It wasn't enough for him just to be sad about what happened. How many of us really care about something, have really been sad at some point, really have emotions about some things, and we know something needs to be done, but we never actually do it? Imagine how weird this story would have been if it just said Jesus wept and then he just went home and that was the end. Pretty anticlimactic, right? Jesus has emotion Jesus cares, Jesus loves, but it's more than just talk. Jesus acted, right? And so he goes up to the tomb. He tells them to to roll the stone away, and then he prays to the Father in verse 41. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me, right? He's going to show now that this is true. He's going to prove that he is who he says he is. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. And his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. I'm going to give you three implications as I finish this up this morning, right? The glory of God is displayed that these people might believe, kind of three implications we take from this. The first one is that Jesus makes dead people alive. He doesn't just take people that are a little sick and give them a little medicine and make them feel a little bit better. Jesus takes people that are dead and brings them to life. Now, this happened physically with Lazarus and in other instances in the New Testament. It happens all the time spiritually with people on this earth. Right? We are dead to our sins. That's what Scripture teaches. We are dead in our transgressions. We are dead to the things of the Lord. Jesus takes the dead and he brings it back to life. Jesus takes our dead spirit and brings us through salvation back to life. Jesus is life. Right? So, so the question we ask, are we living for him? Are we living out our life for him? Are we demonstrating that love and that compassion and that aliveness that we now have to all the world? Jesus makes dead people alive. Here's a second implication. His voice changes history. I love what Jesus does here, right? Because we we think about modern medicine and we and many of you are in the medical field and when we think about the strides that we've made over the last 50 to 100 years, 
We think about all the medications that are available to us, all the technology that's available to us. And yet with all that technology, all the strides we've made, all the computers and now uh, artificial intelligence and all the training and communication, nobody in the world can take a person dead four days and bring them back to life. None. There's no pill for that. There's no procedure for that. There's no amount of money that we can spend to fix that. And yet Jesus does that with his voice. Can you imagine the power? Jesus simply speaks to Lazarus and brings him back to life. And so the question we ask, are we listening to the voice of Jesus? Are we obeying the truths of Jesus? Are we doing the things that he tells us to do? His voice changes history. And then the third implication, we are no longer bound to death. We are free. I think it's interesting that when Lazarus comes out of the grave, the Bible says his hands and feet were bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You know, a lot of us uh, live life with baggage. And a lot of us live life with regret or with pain or, or with struggle. And, and we need to understand this biblical truth. If you are a Christian, you are no longer bound by the old. You are new in Christ. Right? Don't let the baggage of the past weigh you down. Right? Don't, don't let that cloud that you kind of walk under define who you are. We need to understand that once Jesus has brought us spiritually back to life, just like he did with Lazarus, we are unbound and let go. We are free to live for Christ. We are free to love for him. We are free to set aside all the things that, that stopped us, as Paul says, all the things that hinder us, and run the race marked out for us. Don't allow the things of life and the baggage of life to bring you down. You are new in Christ. Now, this is, a, this is a miraculous event, what happened. You know, it's very difficult for us. We, we, we live in a world of sensationalism, don't we? And I worry that because we live in such a world of sensationalism and we see so many incredible things on TV or in books and so many things that happen uh, on the movie screen that it's hard for us to be amazed by anything anymore. But just set all that aside for a moment and just ma imagine in your mind and think through this. This actually happened. This isn't some fairy tale. This isn't some story. This isn't some novel or a movie. This was an actual event. But here's the important thing about this event, right? We see the, the glory of Christ being demonstrated. demonstrated. We see the truth about the resurrection. Uh, we see that the power of the resurrection. We see that Jesus has demonstrated that he is who he says he is. But of all that happened in this miraculous event, it's really foreshadowing what was going to come. Because shortly after Jesus does this, he's falsely arrested, he's accused, he's beaten, he's crucified, and three days later, he would rise again as well. And then John, many years later, when he's writing the book of Revelation, right, the, the author that wrote the book of John also writes the book of Revelation. He's on the Isle of Patmos, and he gets a, a vision of the heavens and the earth and the end times from the Lord. And in Revelation 1, 17, Speaking of Jesus, it says, When I saw him, this is John writing, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. That's what Jesus says. 
Jesus holds the keys of death. He holds the keys of resurrection. Jesus brings life. The question is, do we believe him? Do we trust him? Martha had an opinion of looking years out in the future. Jesus said, listen, I am that I am. I'm right here. I'm right now. I'm going to do great things in your life if you'll let me. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different during our time of invitation. So as our praise team is going to come out here in just a few minutes, and they're going to kind of get ready to lead us, we're going to do something a little bit different during our time of invitation. I'm very burdened over the last several weeks that we've kind of had to change what happens down here at the altar. Right? And if you've been at Rosemont for any number of years, you know that one of the things we do during our time of invitation is we open up the altar for people to pray. And one of the things I've always loved about Rosemont, and I've been here a lot of years, one of the things I've always loved about Rosemont is the fact that we have people that come and pray. And when people pray, they're surrounded by other people that pray for them and that love them. And I just miss that. And so we just talked as a team this week and started thinking about how we could change that and, and fix that. So we're going to do something very different this morning. Instead of standing during our, during our time of invitation, I'm going to ask you to remain seated. And I'm doing that for a very specific reason. I know it's different, and, and I don't want you to feel weird about this, but during our time of invitation, we're going to remain seated. If you need prayer, I want you to stand just right where you are. I don't want you to come down front. Nobody's going to come. I'm not going to ask you to give a testimony. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you what we need to pray about. Nobody's going to speak to you. You stand where you are. It lets us all know that you need prayer. And then those that are seated and can see that person anywhere around, I want you to pray specifically for that person. It gives us the opportunity to ask for prayer. It gives us the opportunity to pray for others. I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen in the first service. Lots of people stood up. And I'm telling you, it affected me greatly to know that people still need prayer and to know specifically that I can pray for them. So you're going to remain seated. If you need prayer, you just stand up right where you are. Everybody around them, pray for that person. Let me pray for us right now. Father, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the glory of the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection, the proof of the resurrection. Jesus is who he says he was, the great I am. King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, speak to us very clearly now during this time of invitation. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.